being two dollars. Yeah. And five point five percent. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. All right. Hi there, and welcome to the second episode of Sorted SF, the podcast about the hidden histories, sword crimes, and other forgotten tales from the city by the bay. Um, I want to start off by giving just the world's biggest thanks to everyone who listened to episode one and all the people who've reached out to me with like so much love. It really means the world, and I'm so thankful for each and every one of you. Truly, it's made my really shitty week a lot better. And I feel a lot of pressure now because I don't want to let anyone down. So hopefully you don't hate this episode. I'm sorry if you do. I love you. Um, So today's podcast is going to feature a little co-host, which is something I'm really excited about doing. I'm joined by my dear friend, Hannah, from Yuba City. And Hannah and I met while ski instructing like almost five and a half years ago now. Um, We were teaching at North Star in Tahoe, and I can't believe it's been that long. Yeah, it's been so long. Um, Five years. Yeah, I'm Hannah. I'm from Yuba City. Monica nailed the introduction. That's basically... (laughs) Is that all there is to you? It it is. It just rounds me out pretty well, I think. Hannah from (laughs) Yuba City. Let's go for it. Amazing. Well, so you just left Truckee. Yes, I just left. You're gone. You're I'm done. Gone. Frevs or like maybe we're get we're getting decision pending. Close to Frevs, yeah, decision pending, but on the way out, yeah. I think slowly. Yeah, that's fair. As we all we all graduate. <laughs> exactly, it's like college round two. It really. It and then really it's been was. five years. So I took my fifth year in Tahoe, and I think I finally was like, okay, I've been here. Maybe too long. It's time to graduate. I've done You're thing. completely right. Yeah. It's, it's time here. to graduate. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I definitely like miss my life. But I think unless your life is the mountains, like you said earlier, like it's time to move on. Right. Yeah. Great place. <laughs> Great place. Number three. Yeah. Go somewhere else. <laughs> the city. Uh-huh. Um, so Hannah, you grew up in Northern California, Yuba City but not like super close to SF. No. What, what was like, did you have thoughts about the city? Like when people said the city, did they mean Sacramento? Like what? Tell me about it. Oh, that's, that's a great. It's, <laughs> it's so good because uh, we grew up going to San Francisco in, you know, middle school, high school. My dad worked in the city a lot. We had a lot of volleyball competitions in, in San Francisco. And it was always just a thing of, you know, we were at the, the age of the internet. So you would Google, how do people dress in San Francisco? Stop. I'm not even kidding. Oh my God. We would literally come with like fake pea coats and scarves. And I think one time one of my friends in high school even wore like a fedora. Like we, we wanted <laughs> to feel like we belonged in the city. And maybe That's it was like so a- cute because I can't wait to show you pictures of me at the same time living in San Francisco. <laughs> Wearing a fedora? No. <laughs> God, no. They just dress the complete opposite. That is, I love that. Okay, tell me more. Go on. No, that was just mainly it. I mean, we came from the country kind of. So we just thought of it as this like grand hipster was kind of like a new thing in Mm -hmm. high school, you know? So like glasses and rolled cargo pants and all that kind of stuff. We just like wanted to fit in when we came down here. And um, every time we came though, it was just foggy and we would go to Fisherman's Wharf. Right. <laughs> we'd eat some clam chowder. Maybe, oh, actually, we'd go to the Rainforest Cafe a lot. 
Oh my god. That was a big thing when we were little kids. Our parents yeah. would drive us down here for the Rainforest Cafe. We'd go home and you know, that was San Francisco for me. Alcatraz. Yeah. It was always kind of like a tourist destination. Right. Even though we were only three hours away, it was still like this. Well, vacation. and I mean, to be fair, like, dude, if there was a birthday party at the Rainforest Cafe, like, holy shit. That's all I ever wanted growing up was a birthday party oh, yeah. at Rainforest Cafe and like oh. this other weird, like, Toontown place in Daly City. And, um, I just, I desperately wanted a birthday party at Rainforest Cafe. It's amazing. It's so cool. And I don't think I've been there in like a decade. Wait, should we go there for dinner? <gasps> Stop. <laughs> oh, my God. I just remember God. like the lightning and the thunder would happen. Oh and I'd Is always... it still there? Let me Google it. I don't it. know. I <sighs> I feel like it seems like that place that like would have lost its charm yeah, during COVID. I think the one that was Rainforest by Disneyland Cafe. isn't there anymore. So oh, maybe sad. it's. Rainforest Cafe shuts down in San Francisco. <gasps> 2017. So 2017? This is pre-COVID. Oh, no. Sad. All right. That'll be a separate podcast someday. Yeah. The demise like, of Rainforest R.I.P. Cafe. Yeah. The rise and fall <laughs> of how it stopped being like the world's best place to throw a birthday party. Oh, my God. <gasps> so sad. Their so, souvenir shop was so yeah. good, too. Sorry. And it was next to like Ripley's Believe It or Not. Yeah. That whole. Uh, that's a whole part Wax of Wax Museum. I think. Mm -hmm. Is that one and the same with Ripley's? I don't know. But so, okay, now that you're older and you've obviously spent like a bunch more time, are there things that like really surprised you about the city? Like being an adult in the city opposed to being like the tourist, like tag along with your parents kind of thing? I guess just, I mean, most of my time is spent in small towns in Southern California or up in Truckee. So just the amount of people that are here in general blows my mind. Like there's just thousands. If there, is there a million people in the city? Probably, right? So I think in the 2010 census, there were like 850. Okay. So at this point, roughly. we're probably... We might be, but also, I don't know, post-pandemic. Oh, that's true. People might have exiled. Like the daytime population of San Francisco is in the millions because of the people who used to commute here. Oh, yeah. I don't know what it is now. Um well, just even 850,000 yeah. people in such a small block is pretty amazing to me. I think it's that's really exciting. And then just coming from small towns a lot of the time, I think I am just sadly surprised by the, you know, I have to empty my car when I come here. I'm afraid right. that my car is going to get broken yeah. into. To be um, fair, same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everybody here, it's just a normal thing to completely empty your car before going home, which Everywhere else I live, I just leave everything I own right. in my car because I don't want to have to move it because I'm super lazy. Yeah. Um, totally. I mean, I wouldn't lock my doors in Truckee even. No. You don't lock your like front door Like I would because of a bear. Maybe. Maybe. But not really. If no. I forgot, it wasn't a big deal. Mm -mm. I've never even owned a key in Truckee, I don't think. Right? For, for a house. Uh, I lived in the same house for three years and never had my own key. Uh-uh. It's just not What would thing. I do with a key other than lose it? So I think that's just the biggest difference is just it's... You have to be more on guard here. And it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just there's so many more people. So there's just things that happen that are different than in small towns. Yeah. And there's just more to do, too. I mean, you can go to the bars. There's so many great food restaurants. Uh, yeah, I, I do love a food restaurant. <laughs> I do love a food restaurant, too. You know, sometimes there's non-food restaurants. You have it's, to look out for those. True, it's you true. You show up and you're hungry and there's yeah. no food. Ooh. Um, so is like, do you have a wish list? Of things that you'd like to do in San Francisco that Ooh. you still haven't done, or like as a teenager, you're like when I'm older, a I'm going to do wish list. this. Interesting, because I like still feel like I have one. 
Like I have a goal to walk every street in the city. Every street. Yeah. It's a lot so, Someone did it and like I'm pissed that I didn't do it first, but it's fine. It, but it it just I imagine I mean, there's an article I could read, but I'm like refusing to because I'm bitter. Um, but I imagine it took this person a really long time. There's a lot of fucking streets. There's so many streets. I don't even know how long that would take and how you would calculate or track. I guess there's there's apps these days, like that mm-hmm. one that's for Stra- runners. Strava. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strava. So we could like follow your line. But yeah, that must could be. Let us know the pronunciation of that. <laughs> Strava. That'd be, that'd be Strava. Cool. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I don't know about a list. I've, I mean, I've done most of the touristy things when I was mm-hmm. younger. I have done my fair share of partying in the city. I think that's like a big pull, especially in high school. It's like you want to come here for the bar scene, the club scene. Mm-hmm. The there's some mad karaoke in this town. You know, I've only done karaoke like a handful of times in the city. What? Like, and by a handful, I think I mean one. As, okay, so maybe I think something I did karaoke in Tahoe. on my list is, you know those, you can rent a room and mm-hmm. just do karaoke with I went to one at my friend's birthday. See, that's something I'm super in for, but I've never tried. That would be cool. Yeah. That'd be really fun. Yeah. All right, next time you're here, I'll book it. <laughs> we'll karaoke. <laughs> great. We'll and karaoke. It'll be great. Yeah, other than that, I don't know. Like, I think that when I come to the city, I, I know so many people here now that I'm just like take me where you will right. kind of a situation mm-hmm. of like what's your favorite spot here and then I'm just mm-hmm. like down to experience somebody else's favorite spot because I'm so removed from the city that I just don't even think I understand what the city can offer me. Right. No, that's totally fair. That's totally valid. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I feel like when I'm like visiting friends wherever they may be, I'm always like I don't fucking know. Like You tell me where to go. Like yeah, I've, if you're there all the time, you know yeah, the good spots. Exactly. Show and me just like time. maybe I'll have a couple things to do. Like if I'm in a new city, I'm gonna have to go to the zoo. Uh. But like other than that, I'm you know, unless I've done some extensive research beforehand, I'm really don't have much of a much of an item. Mm-hmm. So let's get started. Um initially I was gonna tell you this really horrific story about the murder of a really lovely man called Mr. Egg. And the failures of the SFPD. But we're switching it up. Okay. And this story that I'm going to tell you instead is like a bit less tragic and a little more grounded in history. So without further ado, let's begin the story of the B-Girls of the Tenderloin. My sources for this episode are Wikipedia, an essay by Chris Carlson from foundsf.org, and the B-Girl Evil, Bureaucracy, Sexuality, and the Menace of Barroom Vice in Post-War California by Amanda H. Litauer. So, B-Girls. Their Random House Historical Dictionary of American Slang defines a B-Girl as a woman employed by a bar, nightclub, or the like to act as a companion to male customers and to introduce them to buy drinks and was usually a paid was usually paid a percentage of what the customer spends. So it was known to be short for a bar girl, B-girl, bar girl, but oh. not to be confused with a barmaid. Its origins are contested, but according to a San Franciscan in the 1930s named Peter Tamoy, the original B-girl comes from beating oil, which was a concoction used to falsely produce low-quality whiskey in the bead or bubble that 
pure forms of whiskey apparently produced when poured. I don't know enough about whiskey to yeah, fact check that. Um, so who knows? Uh, so bartenders would give the girls this so that they wouldn't get drunk on the job because it was like fake booze. And the bottle from which the diluted whiskey was poured was called a bee bottle. And the bee girls, called bees, uh, their drinks came from that bottle. Wait, 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 wait. So these <laughs> girls are giving other people drinks. They're working at a bar. Correct. They're hired by the bar. Hired by the bar to, to serve drinks, but they're given fake drinks the entire time. Do they know that they're given fake drinks? They're hired by the bar to get other dudes to buy drinks. And to get other dudes to buy fake drinks. Other this dudes to buy real drinks. Okay, okay. And then That's the bartenders are like, you work for us. We don't want you to get wasted on the job. Here's a fake drink. So you get our B alcohol. Uh-huh. You don't exactly. get our A alcohol. You get our B. That, okay. <laughs> oh. I hadn't thought of it like that. But yes. Um, so yeah, the bottle from which the diluted whiskey was poured was called the B bottle. And the B girls drinks came from that bottle. Someone told me that like, Current law enforcement calls prostitutes B-girls because California Penal Code 647B, which is the code or like law that makes prostitution illegal, like that's where it matches up. But I feel like the history is a bit more in depth than just like the penal code. Um, I don't know. For our purposes, B-girls do not necessarily like equal sex workers, but it kind of ends up being one and the same as you'll see. And like, to be clear, I want to make clear, this is a pro-sex work podcast. Uh, so at absolutely no point is anything either of us say meant to demean, blame, or insult sex workers or sex work. Only respect for our girls and men. So this age-old practice dates back forever and was really common in the early days of San Francisco's Barbary Coast. Um and the Barbary Coast was what, you know, originally, like, the true Barbary Coast is in North Africa and was, like, a trading port over there. Um, and that's – the name was given to San Francisco when the gold rush hit because it was just absolutely nutso out here. Um, so, it, like, mimicked the true Barbary Coast. So, in the early days, these B-girls, like, might also rent themselves for sex also – um, but basically, like, the game was, you were a girl. You'd sit all alone at a bar trying to look hot but, like, modest because, you know, like. You're not a prostitute. You're a girl. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And, like, you didn't want someone to get the wrong idea. Like, you were also, like, kind of trying to meet your husband. <laughs> so you'd sit alone, hot but modest, and some unsuspecting guy would come along and offer to buy you a drink. He'd say, oh, my God, I love that. <laughs> and you'd sit with him and let him talk to you. So it's like kind of a sugar baby thing. Mm -hmm. uh, but what he wouldn't know is that you're like on the bar's payroll and the bartender was serving you soda or water or like bee drinks um, or something like that. So you'd sit there for hours listening to your Mark talk about whatever and he'd just keep buying himself and you drinks. And then when he ran out of money, you would just leave. You'd just be like, mm, bye. Wait, so maybe this is more so. Sorry, I'm still stuck on the girls getting the bad drinks they have to stay sober the whole night they have to do this over exactly. and over they're again. at work so the bartenders are purposely serving them alcohol that's yeah. not going to get them fucked up exactly because they're uh, at work they're all like they're on the same sense. team and so whatever like 
if the B girl was able to sell 15 drinks to a man, she'd get a percentage of each drink she sold to him by like, yes, another round. Yes, another round. She gets money off of every round that he buys. And she's not getting drunk because it's her job to make this buy. This guy buy drinks. Wow. Original fraudsters. Truly. Like where I would love to see their TLC show. Oh, yeah, 100%. There's also some acting that goes into it, too, though. Absolutely. Like, it's exhausting. Can you imagine listening to the troubles of, like, some dude? And, during the gold rush? Yeah. You can't like, find mm-hmm. golds or something? Exactly. Have you ever tried to find gold? It's really freaking hard. <laughs> so hard. So actually, yes. <laughs> and it's really freaking hard. <laughs> My mom and I have gone on, like, two pan-for-gold trips, like, where we just happen to be in like gold country, like one in Virginia city outside like Reno or like, yeah, outside Reno. Um, and then once in this other town and who knows where in Northern California, but yeah, it's hard. It's, it's so really hard. hard. We you have find like a, like a freckle worth uh-huh. and you're like, Oh, yeah. how much is this worth? Like, I oh, struck rich, maybe 50 cents. Yeah. I, uh, was watching Antiques Roadshow recently and this lady showed up and she was like, yeah, like my uncle or my granddad was in the gold rush and he found like some gold nuggets. And you know, when you hear a gold nugget, you're like, okay, you think of the like, you know, one square inch or something like that. Yeah. Something small. And so this guy comes in and he's like showing on his finger what a gold nugget looks like. And he's like, yeah, so usually gold nuggets are like this. And he pulls out what she brought in. And it's like the size of an iPhone chunk of gold. She's like, oh, yeah, we have like a couple, like dozen of these just at the house. We're just curious what a they're worth. A couple dozen? Yeah. And just, like this guy's to like. antique uh, road show. <laughs> you don't bring it into like the pawn shop or the bank? Or- right, right. Exactly. She's like, oh, we just wanted to know if like they were real. And like, we know they're real, but we just wanted to like make sure. It's like, want to be on TV. No, yeah. <laughs> Truly, because like, girl, you gotta get these insured. You gotta like melt them down or something. Because they were like the size of iPhones, just pure gold. What? Pure gold. Yeah, you know the family has a couple dozen. Like, bitch, <laughs> cash that out. You're Put rich. it in property You're or something. Super or maybe rich. keep it in gold. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you do with money. I don't have any. Um. Anyway, so. You'd sit there listening for hours. He'd run out of money and you'd bail. And so I read that it was common for these girls to drink like 40 drinks a night. Like they weren't booze, but like that's how much you'd talk to these men. And like obviously homeboy was trying to get you drunk so that you'd go home with him. But like that's the whole scheme, right? That's the fleece. The bar takes his money. You take your commission. You get out of there. Homeboy's just like done. So, sorry. A common B-girl tactic tactic was to dress really modestly in, like, a suit. Like, she was a secretary who, like, just got off work and was grabbing a drink before returning home. So, she'd sit at the bar, and then a guy would think, like, look at this nice lady just waiting for a husband to find her. She's not a prostitute. Maybe we can date. But then, like, joke's on him. (laughs) She's not going to date you. Because she's not a secretary. And that's why they buy so many drinks, too. Because if you look like a par- prostitute, what does it take? I don't know. That's rude. But maybe you would only take a few drinks because right. they would stereotype you'd get, you. Or and you'd get to the point. You know, she wants yeah, to like. like, oh, here's one drink. Like, you're mm-hmm. dressed like this. Right, like, exactly. It shouldn't and be that like, way, ladies. But we I should... guess that is the way it is. Well, yeah. No, but like, it makes sense because she doesn't want to waste her time either. Mm-hmm. Like, 
if she were trying to like get in as a prostitute, it'd be like a, all right, we know what this is. Let's like close the deal. Yeah, that's true. Whereas like this girl is making her money from the like elongated conversation. And, Purposely looking a certain way. Yeah. And like having him buy multiple wow. drinks where I guess maybe a prostitute would be like, let's sign, seal, deliver and get this over with so I can move on to the next person. Mm-hmm. Whereas this girl is like, the longer I can keep one person, the more money I make. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. So uh, San Francisco is a hotbed for B-girls in the 1940s and 50s, especially in the Tenderloin. So this is like, even after Gold Rush, this is like just been happening. So in the 40s and 50s, especially in the Tenderloin, American poet Maya Angelou was actually a B-girl in a strip club in the Tenderloin during the 50s. What? Isn't that crazy? That's insane. Which is also just like a reminder to absolutely never judge anyone for their past or their present. Yeah, but also, I mean, she's probably in these areas where music and things are pretty prevalent, so. Definitely, totally. Like, it all, it all, like, adds up, but, you know, if, you know, if someone had, like, written her off, like, well, you used to be, like, essentially a prostitute. (laughs) Like, you don't have any, like, how dare we give you power or whatever. Like, she wouldn't, you know. Yeah, that's true. It's Maya Angelou, like. Wow, insane. Yeah, it's Maya Angelou. She's a B-girl, so like, reminder, be nice to everyone, everyone. Um, in 1953, a San Francisco Examiner reporter, Ernest Len, set himself up to be taken by a B-girl. Like, he basically went undercover and like played along, knowing exactly what he was doing and that he was getting taken advantage of. He posed as a visitor from New York and hung out at a Tenderloin bar and asked one of the women at the bar if she'd like a drink. She explained that she was a secretary dropping by for a nightcap before heading home. And like all B-girl fleecings, she acted like she wanted to get wasted and drank really fast and got touchy-feely. But as soon as she ran out of money, she had to go meet a friend. So the same reporter was able to interview an ex-B-girl who went by Ginger. And she had this to say. In the B-Girl racket, you think you'll find excitement, meet all sorts of guys, but brother, do you work? Uh, By studying the technique of other B-Girls, she learned the approach, how to make a pickup, how to keep the drinks coming, how to keep tab of each drink with a matchbook, and what to do when the customer gets too amorous, and how to get rid of a customer when he's broke. To sum it up, she says, we meet a sucker, hit pay dirt, and start digging. (laughs) So, Ginger, okay. Uh, but if you remember, this is an XB girl. So, the reporter asked why she quit the racket. And she says, it was the sitting there listening to the customers night after night. Sitting there taking it. The holding hands and necking, drinking all those phony drinks. And besides, the blankety-blank barkeep was shortchanging me on my earnings. So, basically... No amount of money is worth sitting there listening to boring men trying to kiss your neck. Absolutely not. (laughs) It checks out. It checks out. Um, Yeah, yeah. especially doing it night after night. You're right. There's no way. And that was going to be my question later of just like, were these women even paid properly? Because I mean, cheerleaders aren't even paid properly nowadays. So how are these B-girls supposed to actually make any money? Truly. They weren't. Yeah, because they were making that they didn't get to keep the money, whatever drinks. You know, were being I don't for think the they had ten ninety nines. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely 
absolutely not. I don't think they had the legality of like employees or private contractors. But at the end of the day, I guess, too, if, if they didn't want to be sex workers, this was like a happy medium. Yeah, this mm-hmm. was another option. Totally. So public disdain for B-girls didn't really happen until the 1950s. And like, don't get me wrong, they weren't shown any love in the earlier days. But like the media blitz against them didn't hit till the 50s. In the 30s, the San Francisco Police Department targeted employers of the B-girls rather than the women themselves, which I like. Yeah, that's Um, how it should be. Right. The B-girls in question were usually really young, even juveniles. Um, officials said that the B-girl trade was linked to white slavery, um, which I think is just, I mean, I don't know. Eh, eh, mm. Separate podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pimping situation. Yeah. Um, B-girls of the 1940s were grouped in with other types of sorted women, including prostitutes. Um, victory girls, khaki wackies, barflies, and seagulls. Uh, So you might be asking, like, Mon, what's a (laughs) khaki-wacky? And don't worry, I googled. Uh, There's not too much information for free online. So what I found is the description of a book called Victory Girls, Khaki-wackies, and Patriotutes, The Regulation of Female Sexuality During World War II by Marilyn E. Hegarty. So here's that excerpt. Victory Girls, Khaki-wackies, and Patriotutes offers a counter-narrative to the story of Rosie the Riveter, the icon of female patriotism during World War II. With her fist defiantly raised and her shirt sleeves rolled up, Rosie was an asexual warrior on the home front. But thousands of women supported the war effort by not working in heavy war industries, but by providing morale-boosting services to soldiers, ranging from dances at officers' club to more blatant forms of sexual services, such as prostitution. While the desexualized Rosie was celebrated, women who used their sexuality, either intentionally or inadvertently, to serve their country, encountered a contradictory morals campaign launched by government and social agencies, which shunned female sexuality while valorizing masculine sexuality. This double standard was accurately summed up by the government official who dubbed these women patriotutes, part patriot, part prostitute. Ooh, that's fun. So. Women history month. (laughs) Truly, exactly. He made this country. (laughs) Right, by servicing our men. Yep. Mm. (laughs) Woohoo. And so, yeah, separate podcast because like, what to unpack even in that I'm, I'm still very concerned and i need to know what a khaki wacky <laughs> i need to know i don't know were There's khakis just... even around back then? i mean i guess i thought that was like jake the state farm <laughs> <laughs> maybe it was like a canvas thing from like like khaki sacks like hacky sacks, but khaki, but like, khaki, but like sacks? sacks of like burlap sacks. I don't know. Hmm. If, okay. any, if anyone could write us in and let us know. Please. Please. Um, so like this is an unsurprising take as perceived sexuality or sexual availability always generates fear around female sexuality. Women who enforcement agencies like the police found questionable faced harassment, arrest, and quarantine. 
During the mid-1940s, the Office of Community War Services Social Protection Division carried out a national campaign to repress prostitution and other forms of female promiscuity and encouraged local criminal justice systems to partake. Between 1943 and 1959, inspired by the national movement, the San Francisco City Separate Women's Court processed and detained thousands of women for prostitution, vagrancy, drunkenness, and lewd conduct. After their arrest, women were held without bail for up to 72 hours while they underwent mandatory medical testing for venereal disease, which is like... Maybe one of the worst things I've ever heard. That's awful. Like, how demoralizing. Uh, and but I guess what started this? When when were the people like, it was just the we ge- don't want prostitutes anymore. It was just the general, like... Who was in power. Yeah, like, national consensus of just, like, sex bad, prostitution bad, mm. like, women are gross kind of thing. Yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Religion, something <laughs> yeah. else. Exactly. So, those were found to have a venereal disease were quarantined for up to six months in a designated section of the county jail. Quarantined? As if they thought that if they breathed on somebody else, they could give Uh them this sex disease? Just put in jail for six months by themselves. Oh, this is awful. Yeah. I googled San Francisco City Separate Women's Court and it directs me to the SF Sheriff's Office of Women's Resource Center, which seems to be a center devoted to giving women direction once they're released from jail and how to stay out of jail. Um, you can also file a temporary restraining order on this website. And like, I feel like there's some kind of irony in there that the same agency was once quarantining women for maybe having an STD. Yeah, is now trying to empower women. Right. Hmm. I guess times have changed. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Yes. Um, maybe we're reading into it too much. Who knows? So B-girls were usually charged with vagrancy. So by looking at charges, you couldn't tell the difference between like a B-girl and your standard lady vagrant. But B-girls were obviously treated like other sexual pariah, which... You know, sometimes they were selling sex in addiction or in addition to like soliciting drinks. Like, for example, when an arresting officer decided that a woman should be examined for venereal disease, because obviously police officers do have that power, <laughs> um, he or she completed a quarantine recommendation card. The officer could indicate reasons for the decision by checking one or more boxes indicating, quote, known prostitute, seagull promiscuity with male persons or b-girl evidence of sexual promiscuity uh being a b-girl was automatically associated with like indiscriminate and legally questionable sexuality um so i mentioned seagull twice now i think and i also googled that but it was really hard to find the definition i oogled i i oogled (laughs) i googled seagull sex term and got like a really (laughs) terrible (laughs) urban dictionary so yeah you're saying seagull as in the bird like the seagull yeah seagull yeah if anybody else out there knows what a seagull is yeah uh so i googled found a really gross urban dictionary definition um but i don't think it's how it was used in the 40s and 50s (laughs) so then i googled seagull b-girl vagrant and got images and that video of the girl getting hit by the seagull on the roller coaster (laughs) Uh, then I googled seagull prostitute 
and got a book about prostitutes published by Siegel Books. Mm. That came up. So I gave up. So who knows? Um, according to American Civil Liberties Union, police officers usually targeted white girls who were seen with men of color or sailors. Oh. I don't really know how that relates to the bird. Just, oh, oh, well, if you're, you said in the Navy? Yeah. Like, on yeah. a boat, seagulls yeah. are, yeah. you know, follow boats around because they get fed and things. That's true. So maybe it's something like that of just yeah. like these women follow the Navy around. Okay. And are kind of open to. I like that. The sexual. Like a. Payment like a, that comes with the Navy. Okay. So kind of like, what are, what are they called? A uh, tag. A roadie. You know, like a, a roadie. roadie. Totally. I was yeah. going to say like a, a term I learned recently was like a tag bunny, tag, which is someone that? who follows like, or just tries to like hook up with a uh, military folk because they're dog tag oh, things. Oh, dude. Like 100%. A badge bunny. People badge date, bunny, like, tag bunny, officers. seagull. I think it's, yeah. <laughs> boat, the boat ones, the Navy, seagull. That makes the most sense. Perfect. I think we, I think we figured it out. Yeah. Tell us we're wrong. <laughs> Uh, so in 1953, B-Girls started getting a lot of media attention. The SF Chronicle even did a series titled Tenderloin, The Secret City, exposing the inside story of a life as a B-Girl. The series included like a sidebar on B-Girl lingo. And are you ready for some slang? <laughs> Let's do it. All right. Bear with me. B is used both as a noun and a verb and is used as a prefix for a noun or a verb. Was that helpful? Did that make sense? <laughs> 100%. So you could be B swimming, swimming as a B girl. <laughs> I don't even know. Prefix, right? Yeah. A B is a drink on which a house employee gets a percentage. A B girl is such an employee. Being is the act of working as a B girl. Drinks that the B girl successfully got men to purchase for them were also called B's. Bees were also what bee girls called themselves. <laughs> like, I became a bee because of the money. Uh, <laughs> the bars that bee girls worked in were called bee spots. By the end of 1953, SF newspapers used the term freely and everyone knew like what they meant. So they would use like bee in whatever context I just described. <laughs> I don't even know. And so at people that point, just knew. People knew which ones were the B spots? Like, yeah, I think, I think I'm so. getting ahead of myself. But did they did they have a downfall because everybody just figured out which ones were the B spots? Did people I feel like some guys would just enjoy being with a B girl because they mean, can just talk for hours and hours watched and 90 hours? Day Fiance. Yeah, we know. We love. We there know are, that men love listening to like women that are better than them. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. Or they just like to be listened to for an extended period of time. Truly. <laughs> to be to feel like their lives are exciting. Oh. Huh. Could this be like a business Could plan for today? Could it be? <laughs> Where just men who are bored can go to these bars and buy drinks for themselves and somebody else and just be listened to? Could that be like a form of therapy? Could these B girls be paid properly? You see what I'm going with question. this? I feel like I feel like in some it must exist. Like, I mean, that's basically what you are as a bartender. That's Paid true. to like listen and to people. And there are some, uh, what is it, sugar babies? Yeah, exactly. Who do that too. Which who people don't. still shit on, but like, yo. You're still making if money. If you want a sugar baby, I don't want to touch you, <laughs> but. I'll listen to your problems. 
for long periods of time. Yeah, like over the phone maybe. And I'll, <laughs> you'll be on speaker and I'll be on mute. Yeah. Um, yeah, your girl's broke. So <laughs> um, with all the crazy sensationalizing about B-girls, San Francisco newspapers continued the American tradition of crime reporting. And it's so, like everyone loved reading the stories because it was like a dramatic reveal of hidden information. It's so, like just like America loves true crime podcasts and dateline exposés and shit like that. Like this is what it was. Editors and publishers believed that the shady practices of those on the outskirts of legitimate society, such as the B-girls, as well as the failure of public officials to protect the good citizens from the hazards they posed, had the shock value to promote political reform. Because we love shock value. Mm -hmm. So, like, basically people were like, let's do this crazy story so that the people in charge start listening kind of thing. And so if you think about the timing of this, this is right after World War II when everyone was just coming back home from war and like moving to the suburbs. So folks who didn't live in the cities needed the newspapers to tell them like all the city gossip <laughs> um, and remind them why they left the cities in the first place. And so almost every story about B-Girls in 1953 was on the cover of San Francisco newspapers and like distributed everywhere, like up to Sacramento and stuff. Um the desire to shut down B-Girls and the B-Girl racket was mostly fueled by, believe it or not, prude politicians. And most prominently, San Francisco District Attorney Thomas Lynch, California Governor Earl Warren, State Attorney General Edmund Brown, and California State Assemblyman Julian Beck. The newspapers were instrumental in creating the perceived threat of these B-Girls that these politicians were able to like mobilize into campaigns. Um, average San Franciscans didn't really care about the practice of drink solicitation, but politicians and newspaper publishers sensationalized the B-girls in order to, like, influence the legislation and sell papers. So, like, in short, no one actually cared, but people in power were just like, this seems like a cool platform. Yeah, Let's and if we can take it. this down, there will be so many people that will back us. Exactly, we'll even have- though they don't live in the state. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. So what's funny is the media frenzy over the sordid B-girl racket is like the exact opposite of the true averageness of B-girl work. These B-girls relied on professional networks, tracked and protected their earnings through creative accounting, and shielded themselves from prosecution by working with the bartenders to disguise their compensation. They had to come up with clever ways to attract customers and encourage those customers to keep their profits coming, particularly by promising and then sometimes performing sexual acts. From some women, for some women, it was fun and games, but most felt they had no choice. At the end of the day, they just needed money. And even though the job at its core was boring, average job, it's important to remember what a threat it was to the culture of sexuality and status at the time. Like the powers of the time were really stressed about B-girls and their customers and really wanted to protect the men of the time from being taken advantage of and exploited, which like is on brand for the patriarchy. Oh, yeah. Um, So the women did what they like. They did their best and adapted. They came up with ways to invade entrapment, shifting their practices according to changes in po- political, police, military and media pressures. Um. So, in conclusion, the girls were just capitalizing on their sex appeal to make some money. 
I mean, yeah. And that's the story of B-Girls. And I just also want to reiterate or like iterate, um, this isn't an anti-men podcast either. (laughs) I'm sorry, you were taking advantage of it. That's true. Yeah, that's sad. There's fraudsters everywhere. They take advantage of everyone, not just men who need somebody to listen to them. It's true. It is true. And I guess it speaks to the bigger issue too, right? Of men, because of the patriarchy, not feeling like they have safe places to go to talk and not being able to talk to their friends. Yeah, like if something like this happened in modern times, it might still be hard for somebody to speak up because they don't want to feel like they've been wronged. Mm-hmm. They don't want anybody else to know that they were wronged. Mm-hmm. And it, and if they're feeling like they need to talk to someone, they can't talk to their friend because their friend might like tell them they're being lame and weak. Yeah, exactly. Because it's not like the manly thing to do to talk about mm-hmm. their feelings. So like if you just want companionship, it's like genuine just companionship, not even sex. Like Yeah, you're just trying to hang out and talk to a person and then mm-hmm. you find out that they're just – only sitting there to milk drinks out of you for, which I think also though, if you think about it, happens kind of regularly at. I bars. mean, I feel that's like everything at that's bar culture. That's bar in culture. Yeah, still. like if you're a man going to a bar, I think it's just part of the territory, right? To expect that this could happen to you. Like there might mm-hmm. not be exactly B girls this day and age, but there's definitely women out there who are trying to get free drinks. Totally. Right. Like absolutely. There's even. I mean, I've had a free drink before. And I didn't go home with the person. Yeah. And as long as everybody's on the same page of like, sometimes a girl wants a free drink and sometimes a guy buys a drink for someone. Yeah. It's just the way things happen. Right. Sometimes. Oh, and then it's also weird of just like, yeah, I don't know where we fall in society or just like, if someone could let us know what the proper etiquette is of like, hey, can I buy you a drink? Like. Do I say no? Yeah. Is it the woman's responsibility to be like. I for sure am not going home with you. So now that I said that, if you want to buy me a drink still, you can buy me a drink. Right. Or is it just like... Do I just have to women? Because no? now we're putting it back on women. Like, if a guy just wants to buy me a drink, why would I say no? Right. Out- outright. I'm not going to sit there and get 12 drinks from a person right, if I have no interest. Like, if you want to buy me a drink, sure. Thank you. Like, we can have a conversation. Yeah. And if you're upset about me not going home with you later, I think that's a separate problem. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the bigger issue. Yes. But yeah, no. I. If you're offering, why is it on us to have to say no to ensure that you – I don't I don't know. I also think, you know, one or two free drinks for a woman or a man, like if you're however way it goes, I think it could it could swing the other way, too, just to get to know somebody. Yeah. You know, like that's fair enough, too. You could have an open mind in the beginning. Yeah. And it could be the second drink in and and the person you're talking to says something that's a big red flag for you and then you're out. Right. And then at that point, don't take it personally, men, women, whoever you are. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. And, Sometimes you know, somebody else gets a free drink. Out. And just think about it. You're going to get a free drink someday, too. Exactly. From exactly. somebody else. From someone else. So. No, truly. Yeah. Well, yeah, B-Girls in the TL. Have you been? You've been to the tender. That restaurant we went to, that, um, like, Louisiana breakfast spot we went to. That's in the Tenderloin. Yeah. Dude, yeah, I was there again like a month ago. Okay. Um, And I didn't realize that was the tenderloin. I guess I've been in the tenderloin a handful of times. And that's like another big SF thing to be normalized with or just comfortable with. There's quite a few people that just do drugs on the street. Um, 
And that happened like right outside that restaurant. And honestly, didn't think about it until you just brought up where I was. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the question actually I had earlier in the podcast was, so the tenderloin nowadays as like a white girl from a small farm town, I've been warned from my father, from friends, all the things like you stay out of the tenderloin. It's a dangerous place Mm -hmm. for X, Y, Z, mostly like drug use, Mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Has that always been? Is is that like what the B-girl situation comes from? Is like a, a an area of, what is it, just like more freedom that has turned? I think it's always been like a more industrial isn't the right word because it's not like there was industry there. But it was like, and maybe I'm totally wrong and off base, but in my knowledge and in my mental history of it, it's always been like, a lot of housing with businesses underneath kind of thing. So like very urban. Yeah. Urban before populated. its time almost. Yeah. But densely populated um, in like less than ideal conditions a lot of the time. And like growing up even, we knew not to go to the TL. But that being said, we also like there was this hookah bar that let us in as high schoolers, even though we weren't allowed to be there and like yeah um or you could i remember when i was like 22 one of my friends rented out a whole bar in geez. the tenderloin for her birthday because wow. obviously i think it's a little bit cheaper there right you know? yeah i you know i don't spend a lot of time out there believe it or not <laughs> um but i have gone to a handful of bars that are in the tenderloin and the bars have been like absolutely beautiful and awesome but you know you uber to the door and then uber out yeah, right and off. you know maybe that's part of the problem, is that we get to remove ourselves so easily without having to walk through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the residents of the neighborhood and the people who are actually suffering in the neighborhood do have to live in those like conditions, I guess. Um, but I I think it's always been like a contentious place, like a place that people would question you going to. You know, so often I'll tell my dad where I'm at. He's like, why the F are you there? <laughs> like, what are you doing there? Why would you ever be there? Yeah. Um, but it also was, you know, the place like where you could buy drugs or shit like that. But yeah, I don't really know. It's the home I feel of, like, the, of the B-girls. Yeah. I feel like parts of it are kind of on the up. Like there's individual places that are on the up, but the political and like police world right now in san francisco is like so weird right now that like who knows what's gonna happen with the tl because it's truly one of those questions of like okay we hate seeing people shooting up on the street what are we gonna do about it are we gonna arrest them yeah yeah what's the solution and then like no (laughs) answer is no yeah uh like how yeah how are you going to make it better without just incarcerating people mm-hmm. or like yeah completely removing these people from this place and then gentrifying it because that doesn't really solve any issues in the long run right yeah it's it's really interesting because the tenderloin though it has definitely been gentrified like at least in what i've seen since i've been back there's like it's almost impossible to gentrify because there's like it's like the wild wild west out there 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, just the sheer numbers of people. Right. Like, where are they all going to go? You can't just... Right. I mean, exactly. hopefully you can't just pick them all up and put them somewhere else. Like, that right. would be... And then it's the whole thing of, like, the personal responsibility. They need to get help. Or, like, they need to want help and stuff like that. And, like, where does that fall into this political spectrum of, like, how we're treating people? Mm-hmm. You know, like, will we help people because we know it's the right thing to do? Or are we going to demand that they need to know they need help? Like, well, and then in that sense, too, it's like, are we just trying to help people so that we can clean up part of the city? Right. Or are like, we actually that's not trying to help people? That's a good goal either. That could be right. part of the goal, sure. But that shouldn't be it's the like end the goal. It's like the not noble goal of it. Mm-hmm. To like, let's clean it up so property prices can go up. Yeah. We have more as places to, to house everybody else. Let's help people not die. Yeah. That should be the priority. Yeah. No, it's a mess for sure. Our uh, district attorney, Chesa Boudin, is being recalled this July. So if you're in the city, um, there's a recall happening. And, you know, a lot like I know the cops aren't fans of him. I know a lot of people are. And I know a lot of people that aren't. Um, And part of the reason people aren't fans is because he's very soft on crime, which I think definitely has its place, but are you talking like decriminalized drugs? No, I'm talking like you assaulted someone with a deadly weapon and you're out of jail two days later and just not being prosecuted. Interesting. Yeah. No, it's very strange. It's really, really interesting what's going on in the city politically and like with the police and you know, the news likes to make fun of San Francisco for being this, like, liberal shithole, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is part of the reason why I, like, kind of want to do this podcast, because San Francisco is so much more than a liberal shithole. Um, I don't think it's a liberal shithole, but people see it like that, and I just want to let people know that, like, we have a really rich history <laughs> full of really interesting things, and it's an awesome place, and everyone should live here. Um but yeah, I don't know. It's going to be, it's a weird time in the city's history. Cause I know, like I said, like we're used as a punchline on the national scale of like, well, you are probably the biggest liberal city in the United States. Like Seattle's pretty liberal too. Yeah. But like, and like I mean, there's the LA, original. but I think San Francisco yeah. has the history of like, you know, hippies and yeah. that kind of shit. So we've like cemented our place as like, the spot for liberalism um yeah i don't know it's pretty crazy but i mean that being said be girls do your thing be girls get paid um but don't hurt anyone because that's the thing too these things are so hard because you try to like get yours yeah. Like, how many people do you have to hurt in the process? And that sucks. And that's gross. And That's true, too. And it's hard to determine who has already got theirs for you to get yours from them, if that makes sense. Right. Because like, if you do it over and over again, how can you determine when you're hurting somebody completely innocent or when you're hurting somebody else? Right. It doesn't make it right, I guess. There's no but, eye for an just, eye. But, but just in the sense of, like, oh, like, he does the same thing. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Ugh. Life's hard. Life life's is so hard. It's confusing. You know, actually something that I have been trying to remember, and I actually discussed this with um, my new hair lady 
Aaron, hi, if you're listening. Um, that like, I don't know if she brought it up or I brought it up, but the fact that we're all new here, like on earth, we're all, this is all our first time. Yeah. We, we have not been here before that we remember. Right. So for those, yeah. People and so literally that. everyone's just trying their freaking best. Yeah. And nobody knows what they're doing. No one knows what they're I think doing. That's the big thing everybody needs to remember. Not one person really knows yeah. for sure. And so. like, it's been like a really break. great effort of mine for the past year. I just like say it in my head all the time, just like give them grace. Like you need to give everyone grace because everyone's truly trying. Yes. The best they can. Everybody's and trying. Everybody's different. Everyone's trying and no one knows what they're doing. <laughs> yes, exactly. And you know, if the vibes are off at Applebee's, like that fucking meme, like that's fine. The vibes <laughs> can be off, but we can be nice about it. Yeah. We're all just spinning on earth. Or all just spinning for the first time. For the first time. No one knows what's going on. Nope. Sometimes at an Applebee's. Sometimes at an Applebee's. Have you ever drank at an Applebee's? I don't think I have, actually. I no. did once in like Stockton. Like That's a good a place to drink at an Applebee's. Right? Yeah. That's like, seems like the Stockton, spot. Fresno, Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Inland cities. Yep. Oh, love that. Yep. Um, but yeah, so uh, thank you for listening. Those who have stuck with us, I know it's like a different type of episode than the previous one, but I like being able to talk to people instead of talking to myself and, but you know, a bitch loves to talk. <laughs> um, so again, thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you haven't subscribed, even if you hate me, I don't care. Please subscribe. Do it. Leave her a comment. Leave a comment. Like and subscribe. Follow for more. Um, you know, whatever the people say, the YouTubers, the influencers, um, the Gen Zers, come on guys, you guys too need to subscribe, please. Yeah. Just Gen Z, if you're listening, just pretend you found the super quirky, like mysterious podcast and you're not really sure if you're into it, but like, you're going to give it a shot because it's like so niche. Yeah. And then put it on TikTok. Yeah. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm not great at TikTok, so if you could do that for me, that would be most ideal. Um, Hannah and I are going to go to dinner. We're not really sure where. Um, If there's places in the city that you love to eat or drink. Food restaurants. Yes. (laughs) Only, please. (laughs) Exactly. Food restaurants. Um, Let us know. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week.